morning, church family. Good to see you on this Sunday morning, January 16th, as we gather for worship online. And hopefully you are staying uh, warm and safe inside the uh, beauty of your own home. And we're glad that we can gather this morning for worship. And uh, starting the message uh, today, uh, we're starting the book of Mark chapter 4. Uh, a message entitled Sowing the Seed. And I uh, wonder how many of you plant a garden at your house. And if you actually... Uh, dig up the soil, plant a garden, maybe it's in a uh, pot, uh, maybe it is, we have a small raised bed garden at our house, and some of you do a fantastic job because you uh, share your vegetables with us every year, and I love the springtime, I love whenever you see the farmers uh, tearing up the soil and uh, plowing it up and getting those uh, gardens planted, and uh, one of the things I love about Southern Wake County is there are still farmers around, and uh, Hopefully this year we will have a good strawberry crop right around the corner from the church. And also uh, maybe the pumpkin patch is not completely gone uh, this year. But uh, if you uh, plant a garden, you know what the, the work it takes. And um, my dad grew up on a farm and uh, farming has changed a lot. He has some old antique plows that he inherited from his uh, parents and grandparents uh, that were pulled behind horses. Uh, he got a couple of tractors from my grandparents uh, a few years ago and uh, but you know today's tractors are high-tech they're guided by GPS and uh, they have such accuracy that no soil goes unturned and uh, seeds are precisely inserted uh, into prepared soil and uh, they put right uh, the right amount of insecticide and everything into that very hole so they get maximum uh, return on that investment and uh, you know in Jesus day I love the fact that um, he, they, they used a whole different uh, method for planting. And uh, if you look at Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, And again he, be, uh, he began to teach beside the sea. A very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it uh, on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Jesus taught in synagogues. He taught wherever people were, but he would travel and he would often uh, teach on the seashore and uh, the the, uh, the bank around the Sea of Galilee would often form like an amphitheater effect. And sometimes as many as 10,000 people would gather there as Christ would teach. And sometimes he would often teach uh, seated. A lot of uh, Jewish leaders and scholars would teach seated. And so he would teach there sometimes from a boat. And that's what he was doing here in this, uh, this story of the, the parable of the sower. But, you know, I love the fact that he used different methods. And it changed with the, uh, the times. But his message stayed the same. And it didn't matter uh, who he was teaching. Uh, he was also always sharing the gospel of the kingdom. And it's something for us to be reminded of uh, as the times change. We have to adjust. We have to, we wouldn't do things the same way we did. Maybe if you were born in the 80s or the 90s or even 2000, it's going to change over time. But the message of hope and salvation is, is always the same. So here the crowd is massive. Christ is uh, teaching from about uh, approximately 10,000 people on the seashore. And verse 2 says he was teaching them many things in parables. And a parable is a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And uh, he's helping us to picture something that was often abstract. And he wanted them to see really the, the bigger picture of what he was trying to accomplish. And teaching them about the different types of soil and, and the condition of our heart as we are hearing the gospel and, and being open to receiving it. Verse 10, it says, when he was alone, those around him 
uh, with the 12, ask him about the parables. And I love that Jesus not only taught publicly, but he would also explain privately to his disciples, to small groups of believers that would gather. Jesus would gather and he would uh, share the truth of the gospel. He would explain it in more detail. And, and so I love that he, he taught publicly, but he explained what he meant also privately. And it's a good model for us that we gather corporately for worship, but also it's our responsibility as a follower of Jesus to dig into the word on our own. We ought to be digging, I say what happens corporately on a, on a Sunday, it should be an overflow of what happens in our heart and our life every single day uh, throughout the week as we're gathering for worship. And as we gather, we're, it's an overflow of, of celebration of what God is doing. It's a, it's a good model for us to follow. In verse 11 and 12, he gives us two purposes of a parable. And that first one is to reveal. And it talks about, it's often um, it's something that they'll open their understanding to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But also a parable conceals. Uh, if someone is closed to the gospel, if someone is uh, closed, their heart is hardened, uh, they'll hear it, but they won't understand the truth of the gospel. So it, it reveals and it conceals. And Verse 13 says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you all understand all of the other parables? So Christ is saying this one parable is paramount to understanding many of the stories that he'll share throughout the, his New Testament uh, ministry. And verse 14 says, the sower sows the word. And so as a, a farmer is going, they're going to cast the seed and they're going to they have a pouch across their shoulder with a, a leather pouch with a seed. And they're going to go around and they're going to cast that seed from side to side, like much like we would plant grass seed today. If you don't have a spreader, you're going to spread it by hand and you want to make sure it's going all over the place. And you have a, a good uh, stand of grass when it all comes in. Now, verse 3 says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. So Jesus is, he wants us to lean in and listen to what the parable of the sower is all about. And uh, everyone back then understood how sowing seed works. So perhaps Jesus is pointing to a sower while he's teaching. Maybe he's referencing someone in the crowd who is a farmer. And I love how when Christ was around a fisherman, when he was around some of his own disciples, he would use terms uh, related to the sea. When he was around uh, a fa uh, uh, farmers, he would use agricultural terms and he would use things that they could relate to and understand. So uh, we see this, the farmer's goal was to get the good seed into good soil and it would ultimately, it would, uh, it would break forth fruit and he would have a, a return on that investment. Do you ever wonder how someone hears the gospel, they hear a clear presentation of the gospel, and yet they don't respond with receiving Christ? Maybe you've invited someone to church with you before, and, and they hear the gospel, and you're like, man, if they could just understand what the joy that I have as, as a Christian, I want them to experience that. I want them to have that that joy on their heart and and maybe they come to a Christmas service or a an Easter service and you ever wonder like how did they not accept Christ how did they not understand the gospel and and sometimes uh, someone will make a decision and then a short while later you'll see that person has kind of fallen out of church and maybe you're wondering what happened to that person what happened to that lady she was so on fire for God or that young man was so excited and pumped up and he was on fire for God and then he kind of fell by the wayside the bottom line is, uh, in these situations, is sometimes conversion never actually took place. 
Maybe they didn't truly understand what it meant to follow Jesus and to be a disciple of Jesus. And maybe their, their seed didn't fall on fertile soil and ground that was, was willing to receive and understand the truth of the gospel. So as we look at this parable, the, the, we're going to look at a few verses at the beginning of the chapter as Christ explains the different types of soil. Then we'll bounce over to a little bit later in the chapter where he explains what each of these soils mean and what it means for the hearts of mankind as they hear and understand the truth of the gospel. So we're going to begin with observation. What does it say? Go on to interpretation. What does it mean? And then end with life application. And how can I live this out in my daily life? And really, that's what I try to do. And I preach the gospel on Sundays is understanding, share the truth of the gospel, uh, give details about it, and then tell how we can apply it to our daily lives so it takes root and uh, the gospel springs forth with, with much fruit. And so we're going to look at verse 4. We see a hard heart. Christ is talking about what it's like to have a heart that's hardened towards the things of God. And, and, and maybe this describes some that are listening or watching today. And it says in verse 4, it says, As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. The birds came and devoured it. If you think about the, the, uh, the terms that he was using, it was describing much of the land of Israel. And so he's talking about that hard heart and what it must have been like to hear the gospel. And yet uh, it would not take root in, in the life of, of a believer. Fields in Israel were often small. The nation of Israel is a very narrow country. And having been there and seen it firsthand, uh, they're, they're, they're in a very fertile area. There's a lot of farmland in that area. But uh, many times it, it, those paths that would go between the fields and there were footpaths. They didn't have paved roads like we would have today right up on 1010. So all of these footpaths would have traffic. All the people would be walking back and forth. Uh, the all, livestock would often be traveling down these paths. And so the soil would get packed down and it was almost like concrete. And so he said... Many of the seed falls and it's a hard heart. It's a, it's a, a ground that is it's like concrete. It would be just like throwing seed on a, on a sidewalk out in front of the church. And uh, it says the birds would come along and eat it up. And in our culture, it would be like throwing grass on the, on the pavement or the sidewalk. And, and so that's what he's liking it too. Verse 15, he says, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. He says, where they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. In other words, as soon as the gospel is preached, the devil is right there trying to grab it and trying to distort it and trying to keep people from taking root in the hearts and lives of the hearer. The phrase takes away means to seize or to force or to rob. And Satan does it immediately. He tries to bring confusion. Oftentimes people will sit and hear a message and and they leave and they're confused because they don't have the Holy Spirit to give them discernment. They don't have the understanding of the truth of the gospel. And their hearts are hard. Maybe someone's watching today and your heart is hard towards the things of God. And you, you are cold and, and callous. And maybe somewhere along the road of life. You've been hurt. You've experienced loss. And uh, maybe you've grown bitter. And you're just in a bad place. Maybe you've been hurt by a church. And, and can I just say, uh, I'm sorry for that. And if that's something that's happened in your life, 
uh, my heart goes out to you. And we'd love to encourage you and, and, and to and help you along in that walk, in that journey of life towards finding Christ. But maybe you, your heart is going hard towards the things of God. Let me encourage you to keep seeking after the things of God. He has a purpose and a plan for everything that we're facing. We see secondly, uh, not only a hard heart, but we see a hollow heart in verse 5. He says, other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soul. And immediately the word of God says it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And he, what's he saying? He says, when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root. It withered away. What is he saying? He says, in that part of the world, much of the, the soil was very rocky. It had uh, very much, so just it'd be a thin layer of, of soil, topsoil on top, and then it was bedrock. It was hard rock underneath. And the sun would bake the rock, and it would, it would get warm, and so the, the seed that was sown would germinate very quickly, and then all of a sudden, the, the storms, the heat, the trials would come and that seed would wither up and it, it would die. When these poor people would hear the message, they would, become, they would become emotional. They got very worked up. Sometimes you can go to a, a, a Christian concert and get all excited and, and worked up. And I remember a few years ago, we were at a, a concert, our, our church, a whole bunch of us went to a concert. And, I saw people I had never once seen raise their hands in worship. Boy, they were right down front. If there had been a mosh pit, they'd have been right in the middle of it. They were having a blast. And I'm like, wait a minute. How can you get so excited at a concert? You come to church and you put your hands in your pockets. And it's like you're in, you know, uh, you're in chains. I'm like, enjoy it. Let go. Enjoy the freedom of worshiping God. But we see a hollow heart. Verse 16 says, these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. The soil looks ready, but the struggle comes when problems come. If all you had was an emotional connection with God or emotional experience with God, folks, it's not going to last when the trials of this life come. Verse 7 says, they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately the word says they fell away. As soon as difficulties come, they ditch their superficial spirituality. In other words, as soon as trials come, a person that has a hollow heart who's not truly a follower of Jesus will cast it away the, the first moment uh, a trial comes their way. We call it convenient Christianity. And sometimes reason being that they don't they like the idea of, of getting forgiveness and, and getting a, a home in heaven. They want that get out of hell free card. Uh, but folks, this game that we're in, this road, the race that we're in is not monopoly. And we are all going to stand before God one day. And so we must place our faith and trust in Jesus and choose to follow him, choose to, to follow him with our lives. And it's not going to be convenient. We want God's favor. We want God's blessing. But oftentimes when people face trials and heartaches, they're like, man, I didn't sign up for that. Jesus didn't say that, you know, I was going to experience pain and suffering. 
I just signed up for the get out of hell free card. I just signed up for the blessing. I wanted him to give me wealth and health and, you know, uh, a big family. And I wanted all of those things, but I never signed up for the trials. But the word tribulation has its background from the threshing roller that was used to smash grain. That means ultimately to crush, to squeeze or break. So trials and troubles and tribulations ultimately strengthen true believers in Christ. And I always say that be careful when you are facing trials because people are watching. Your, your friends, your coworkers, your family members are watching you when, when you get the diagnosis that cancer has come. They, they get, they're watching you when you get laid off from your job or you face a, a loss or a death in your family. They're watching to see, is there truly something to knowing Christ? And folks, I can say that the beauty of it is, is they're watching what it means to truly have a relationship with Jesus. And as those troubles come, it strengthens the life of a true believer. It truly empowers us. And it's common for people, though, today, especially in, uh, in the world that we're living in today, for people to bail on Christ. Uh, as soon as trouble starts coming their way and trials come and challenges come in there. And John, uh, in, um, John chapter 6, in verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked. With him. They'll leave that on the screen for just a second because I want you to see John chapter 6, verse 66. As I was studying this week, I, I literally was doing a, 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 a see that right? I mean, as I get to this, I'm like, John 666. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You see, if you have just an emotional Christianity or response to the gospel some time ago, but you've fallen away, maybe the gospel fell on hollow ground. Maybe it fell on uh, the hard heart, the hard ground, and inside you're angry because things have not gone according to your plan. Perhaps you just focused on the, the benefits of believing in Jesus but you never really uh, understood repentance and dying to self. And, but ultimately, maybe you've never truly been saved. But see, he goes on, and the, the story continues on. He says there's also a hindered heart in verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. The word choke means to choke utterly. The seed is strangled. By the thorns that grow up producing no fruit. And if you've ever had a garden, you know the importance of keeping that soil tended all along the season. And I'll, I'll be honest, more than once I have lost the battle to weeds in our garden. And I don't have a big garden. I have a, uh, it's like a two-tiered raised bed garden. And I mean, there's been more than once where the weeds started coming in and maybe we were too busy that summer and I didn't spend as much time out there, you know, tilling up and pulling weeds and getting all that cleared out. But ultimately the weeds would choke out the plants and, and no fruit was, was being, uh, was growing and, uh, and it'll choke it out. The seeds of weeds are endemic to the soil, meaning their weeds are already there. 
And it's up to us to tend the soil. John Calvin says the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. There are so many things that are trying to steal our attention away from worshiping and serving God to get our attention on the things of this world. And Jesus interprets this soil in verse 18. He says, others are the ones sown among thorns. These are the one, those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So he's, Christ is giving us three things that are really hindering the heart from being converted. He says the cares of this world ultimately will choke out the word of the gospel. The cares of this world are, are, are cares or anxieties that a person is, gets so caught up in caring and concerning about other things around them, our circumstances, whatever it is that are beyond our control, it keeps us from focusing on our faith in God. Then he goes on, he says, secondly, the deceitfulness of riches. To be see, to deceive means, um, ultimately it means seduced. And what does he say? He says in First Timothy chapter 6, he says, say not to your, uh, to set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Ultimately, if Satan can draw us away and deceive us, he keeps us from following Christ. He keeps us from following that example. G. Campbell Morgan believed that the persecution, persecution of the saints is Satan's second best weapon. But the first one is materialism. If we can get mankind focused on things rather than the one thing, our hope in Jesus instead of our hope in what we can purchase and what we can buy and, and trying to attain happiness in this life. He says if we can attain that through material things, our eyes will be focused on that instead of on God. He goes not only the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, but he says the desire for other things. That desire for other things can be translated lusting for all the rest. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, it says he defines this as the pleasures of life. Proverbs 27, verse 20 says, Hell and destruction are never full, and the eyes of man are never satisfied. A wealthy man once said, he says, I don't want all the land out there. I, don't, I just want everything that attaches to mine. Now think about that. I mean, you start and you've got maybe a 60-acre tract of land, but you want everything that attaches to yours. And eventually, it's an appetite that's insatiable. You cannot... Uh, you not, cannot control that. And so maybe this thinking, you're thinking when you listen to this, maybe that's me. That's my heart. That's where I've been. I've, and I've, I've been deceived. And it, my heart's been hindered by the things of this world. And ultimately, uh, Tim, Timothy said, or Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Here's a man who wants went with Paul on the missionary journeys and, and was teaching and preaching the gospel. And ultimately he deserted them for the things of this world. He got his eyes off of the prize and started looking at the circumstances around him. So if you're distracted, eventually you'll depart. People over the last two years have gotten their eyes on, off of God and they're starting to look at a, a crisis. Uh, uh, a disease 
They're looking at all of these things and thinking, man, I don't even know what's what anymore. And the reality is it's deceiving us. And many people have been deceived by, by a virus or disease. And folks, God is just as much on his throne today in 2022 as he ever has been. He's still transforming lives. And folks, I would rather be in the center of God's will doing what he's wanting me to do, following him, than keeping my eyes on the news and what's happening in Washington and, and downtown Raleigh and around the world. Folks, things are going to pot everywhere. But folks, we know who holds tomorrow. Jesus Christ is in control, even when all of the circumstances seem out of control. He goes on and gives a fourth uh, heart in verse 8. He says there's the humble heart. Other seeds, verse 8 says, fell into good soil, produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. There's only one kind of soil that produces Fruit that produces a real crop, and that's the soul of a humble, humble heart. What Christ is saying, he says, the good ground was not hard or hallow or hindered. The, the, the farmer, during that time, the harvest was seven times uh, what he had planted, what he had sown, it would be considered a good crop. And so if he had yields of 30 or 60 or 100 fold, it would be absolutely astonishing. And over the last several years, our church has had some opp several opportunities to travel to Northeast India. And it's neat to go to some of these farming communities and to go to some of these villages and, and meet people. And you see people working out in rice paddies. You see people working out in the fields and tending uh, the, the animals and uh, tending crops. And, and as I talked to um, Allison, one of the... Uh, the men there in Consorum, he's been to our church. He has uh, preached here. He has uh, plays the guitar. I can't wait for Matt to meet him. He'll come back uh, maybe in the next couple of years as things improve. But they call him the gospel cowboy. And he'll get up and he will literally electrify a crowd of 5,000 people in, uh, in India. And we went to his village of I remember him telling the story of his father who was a headhunter and he literally had uh, hundreds of people killed uh, before coming to faith in Christ. And then God radically transformed his father. The king of that tribe, the Langland tribe, accepts Jesus Christ as his savior. And he begins to follow the word of God and the gospel of the kingdom. And, and it's a farming community. It's a very poor rural community up on the top of a mountain and, and consorum. And, as we went up there, he was telling us the story about his tribe. And he says, as God began to change my father's heart, he began to teach the people. He wasn't a preacher. He was a, he was a, a wicked king for many years. But he said he began to teach the people about how to follow Jesus and how to live for him. And he said they began to teach them uh, practices uh, of putting into practice what a Christian should do and having an integrity and character and doing things the right way. They begin to grow. And he said, God began to bless. He said so much so that this small farming community began to boom. He said what God did there was he said he began to bless and their crops would have 30 percent. Uh, it would be 30 fold more than what they had the previous years and, and then 60 fold and 100 fold. And he said 
it was so exponential what God was doing. He was blessing them because they were putting into practice the things of God and principles of, of being a Christian and what it meant to follow Christ. And he said kings and leaders from all of these other tribes begin to travel to consort and they're like, tell us what you're doing. Tell us what it is that's working because you have so much more yield on your crops. And he says, we just literally said, we're taking the word of God and putting it into practice in our everyday life. And it is radically transforming. See, what happens is with a humble heart, it's not hindered by the things of this world. It's not looking at everybody else and what they could or might, but they say, God, I want to please you above all else. And I want to glorify you with my life. And so to have yields of 30, 60, or 100 times would be astonishing. And that's what Christ is saying. When you go and sow, the kingdom of God is going to grow. He's going to do many times more than we can ask, think, or imagine. I picture Jesus declaring, as, smiling as he's saying in verse 20, but those that were sown, he says, on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. The word good refers to that which is excellent and beautiful. You see, humble-hearted people hear and accept and ultimately bear fruit. Luke chapter 8 verse 15 says that this person keeps the word and bears fruit with patience. He's listening to the Lord. He loves God and he wants to live out the principles of the gospel in his daily life. And saving faith produces fruit. It's going to be a natural byproduct of a relationship of someone who's following Jesus. And I love what it was said about the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. He says, they received the word with all eagerness. And folks, would the God that that would be said about the, the disciples here at Calvary Raleigh, that they received the word with all eagerness. They were eager to grow in their faith, eager for God to transform and do something. Fruit bearing is the mark of a disciple according to Christ. In John chapter 15, he says, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. When we're faithful, we will be fruitful. So go back to verse nine. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. One of the keys to living the Christian life is to be is to never stop listening to the Lord. Stop listening to the Holy Spirit. Do we hear and heed it? He says, if we're willing to heed the word of God, what he says, he says, we'll understand and God will produce much fruit in the life of a believer. You say, Pastor, what's the application? Ultimately, trust the word of God to produce lasting growth. Trust in him. As we begin to put into practice the truths of the gospel, as we trust God, he will perform his greatest work in our lives. So Romans 116 says, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You see what happens is when we speak into those who are not yet saved, make sure to continuously sow the seeds of the gospel. Make sure you're sowing the seeds of God's word in their heart. And then it's not our own thoughts, our own political perspectives, 
our own opinions and ideas because the Lord knows we all have them. But the reality is he says, sow the seeds of the gospel that we may bear fruit, that we may see Christ transform. It's always a little bit scary to sow the seed. Sometimes you plant something and you don't have as much uh, fruit. Sometimes I've, I've planted plants and had zero fruits. They didn't germinate in the right way or maybe uh, the, the bees didn't come along and pollinate everything a certain way and there was no fruit. There was a, a beautiful plant but there was no fruit. Ultimately it's, it's a scary process but it says in Psalm 126 verse 5, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, he says, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come forth with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with them. What a beautiful picture of a child of God who is preaching and teaching and sowing seeds of the gospel. Ultimately, you're going to see fruit. You're going to see fruit. You're going to bear fruit. And folks, that's all things that we can lay at the feet of Christ one day. And I, I believe it's really only in heaven will we understand the scope of the impact of a life that's lived for Jesus Christ. Imagine all the people, the person you've invited to church, the, the, the person that you've shared the gospel with, the coworker, family member, a friend, the person that the, the, the uh Waitress at a, a, at a restaurant that you shared your story and you never know how God will use that. The, the person in your Sunday school class or in your life group or your Bible study that you had a part of impacting their life. Or the young person that I had in, in, a, in my youth ministry when I first started out and now I see them bringing their child to church today. And it, it excites me to think, hey, God is using it to bear fruit in the lives of of other people. When you when the seed of the gospel gets into a humble heart, exponential growth will happen. You see, that's really the point of this whole parable. When you go and sow, the kingdom of God will grow. When you go and sow, the kingdom of God will grow. And the harvest is sure. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth that shall not return to me. What's that word, church? Empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I said. God's word never returns void. So sow the seeds with confidence Knowing that it's not our job to save someone, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. But as we're being faithful as the vessel, God will use us to impact our city, our neighborhood, our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray that God will prepare the soil in souls and in our city. Pray that God allows us to penetrate the darkness with the hope and salvation available in Christ. In a few weeks, we're going to do a prayer walk in Rand Village neighborhood. This neighborhood is being built right beside our church. In fact, if I had a moment, I would take, would have the camera follow me right out this door. And literally, you can see right beside, right outside these two doors is an entire community that's getting ready to start. Single family homes, townhomes, apartments. Commercial businesses, 
right outside those doors. We talk about God bringing the world to our doorstep or our back door. God is bringing them. We're in a few weeks. We're going to have a, a prayer walk on a Sunday right at the end of the service. And we're going to walk the streets of this neighborhood. Many of them are already paved. You can see where houses are going to go in. You can see where townhouses are going to go in. You can see where apartment buildings are going to go in. And we're going to walk those streets and we're going to pray over every single one of those lots that God gives us inroads into this brand new community that hasn't even started building yet, that God would plant seeds of the gospel through our ministry, through our church, into that neighborhood. Maybe some of you are looking to build a house. Maybe I'm praying God will call people from our church to intentionally plant themselves in that neighborhood. Why? Because it's an opportunity to preach Christ to those right outside our door. I'm praying that some of these townhomes will fill with you know, young people, young couples that are want to start a starter home right there. Is your, there's your location. Go ahead and claim your lot. You know, as soon as that opportunity opens up and, and the sales office, you be first in line and say, I want, I want my name on that lot. We're going to build right there. Some of those apartments that are going to go up are going to be five stories tall. God help us. We're not in the boondocks anymore. We're not in the middle of tobacco. Field, going to be five-story apartment buildings on Tintin Road. I'm praying that God brings college students in our church that will live there and, and use that as an opportunity to impact and reach our city with the gospel. This parable must ultimately become personal. It's got to be something that transforms us. So as we go on that prayer walk, we're praying over the future souls of people that God is going to bring into that neighborhood. You say, that sounds a little bit like Jericho. I don't care. We're not going to crash any uh, uh, pictures and blow trumpets at the end. But we're going to pray over that space that God enables us to impact it with the gospel of Jesus. I wonder this morning, have you allowed God's word into your life? Are you ready right now to let the seed of the gospel get into your soul? And folks, if you've never truly placed your faith and trust in Jesus, we want to encourage you. We want to come alongside of you. We want to help you in that spiritual journey and help you come to know Christ. Let me encourage you, church, don't miss next Sunday. But the, the saying uh, in the country is, Lord willing, if the creek don't rise, if it doesn't snow or ice next Sunday, we're going to be right here in this room in person. I want everyone in our church to make plans to be here. Next Sunday, January 23rd, is our theme reveal for 2022. It's going to be an exciting day as we dream about all that God wants to accomplish in and through his church in 2022. You're going to see a lot of things changing and transforming uh, on stage next week. We're going to have brand new t-shirts with our new themes on it, uh, displays in the lobby. We're excited about it. We're praying that God does exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think in 2022. Church family, we're looking forward to gathering and worship next Sunday. Let's close in prayer this morning as we end our service. Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting with us today.